0: I just knew a couple of people and but I knew this is where I was supposed to be and um, the first time that I got up and said anything on a Sunday morning up here was in June on Father's Day and uh, tried to just get all my personal stuff out of the way at the beginning <laughs> that first message was a lot of uh, personal stuff stories about my childhood and my dad. And uh, this time it's different because I'm talking to friends. I'm talking to people that I know. I've got to know their story a little bit. People I worked with, work with, and love like Dave and Debbie and Ryan. Happy birthday. This Is birthday yesterday? And um, so it's a different dynamic. And I think there's a little bit of relief there because I'm getting up and facing people who, at least I think, like me a little bit. So I'm also very happy because for the first time ever, I visited Disneyland this past week. Yes. I made it through Disneyland. If anybody who knows me knows that uh, I don't deal well with crowds, noise, long lines, expensive food, or crowds. So that is like introvert nightmare is going to Disneyland. But you know what, I, it, I'm laughing, but I actually was pretty nervous about it. And uh, I was like, okay. And again, like every other thing in my life, I have a choice about my attitude going into that. And I don't know about you, but the times in my life where I'm only thinking about myself, and, but what about me and my issues? What about what I like and don't like? Why do we have to go? I don't like. I know I'm not going to like that place, because whatever you think is true is. It's perfect. You know, like Kevin alluded to life sentences. Whatever the narrative is that you're running, whatever the script is that you're running in your head, is true. Whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And so that morning and the night before, I just thought, this isn't about me. I'm going to Disneyland. I'm getting, it's part of my job to go to Disneyland. Like how hard is that? And I'm going with people where that's their favorite place. So the last thing I want to do is be the guy who ruins somebody else's time. But I've done that a lot throughout my life because I haven't been able to set aside my own stuff because I've only been thinking about me. And yes, we're not responsible for anybody else, but I'm sure if you can think about it, you can think about times where like somebody's energy that they're getting off at a family gathering or a work meeting and they're not saying anything, but they're saying a lot through their body language, through their nonverbal communication, through the (laughs) <laughs> I also grew up in a family uh, where dad had the look. I don't know if anybody else can resonate with that, where you just knew, like, nothing was said, but the look said, whatever it is you're doing, stop. The look came out. And so I didn't want to be that guy during Disneyland, but I made it through. How? With the help of my friends. And their joy encouraged me. And what I saw them doing and what, how they were enjoying everything, I'm like, you know, this place isn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I got through it. And as we talk about how to, how can our souls not only survive, but enlarge through, through grief and loss, it's really the same thing. It's staying open. It's surrounding yourself with good people who you know they have your best interests at heart. It's through prayer ahead of time, during time, thanking him afterwards. It's about trusting the process, trusting that this 45 minute hour line is actually leading somewhere, (laughs) though I can't see the end of it. And it's allowing God to speak to you in the middle of those times and staying open and giving you a crazy illustration about grief and loss using Disneyland, (laughs) who does that? You know, we serve a risen savior. We serve a God who lived as a man during a time in his life. And at the lowest point in his life, right before it he was praying and it was at night in the garden and the story is found in matthew 26 in verse 36 and it says then jesus brought them to an olive grove grove called gethsemane and he said sit here while i go on ahead to pray and he took peter and zebedee's two sons james and john and he began to filled with anguish and deep distress And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went on a little farther and fell face down on the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you stay awake and watch with me even one hour? Keep alert and pray. Otherwise temptation will overpower you. And for this, though the spirit is willing enough, the body is weak. So again, he left them and prayed. My father, if this cup cannot be taken away until I drink it, your will will be done. Your will be done. He returned to them again and found them sleeping for they just couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went back to pray a third time, saying the same things again. And then he came to the disciples and said, still sleeping, still resting. Look, the time has come, I, the Son of Man, am betrayed unto the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going, see, my betrayer is here. And then Jesus is arrested. And many of us know the rest. Even Jesus was counting on his friends. Even Jesus prayed and prayed the same things again, it says. And how often do we do that? We're like, here I am, Lord, praying the same thing again. Again. In this situation, that's not changing or at least not changing the way that I would like it to or as fast as I would like it to, but here I am. There's so many, com- There's so much comfort that I've found in just those words where I don't really know what's going to happen. Quite honestly, I thought that right before I got up here. I don't know what I'm going to say exactly. I don't know what's going to happen. but. Here I am. Whatever it is this room full of people are supposed to hear, whatever it is they're supposed to feel, would you take that as our worship God? For as much as as Chris paints, right? Kevin sings and plays guitar. As much as I get up here and willing to stumble around with some words and Brenda with the hospitality out front all these other things that are all worship to God because they're done unto him doesn't matter who signs your paycheck we all have the same employer let's pray God thank you so much for today Thank you for this chance to worship together thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in this country to be able to do that and thank you for sending your son to live and die for us and, and know that he lives now thank you for your holy spirit The promise of a comforter, a counselor, and a healer and friend. So we offer the rest of this time together up to you as our offering, Lord, and our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I were to ask you how you're doing this morning, what would you say? Marvelous. What else? Good. Good standard answer fine i grew up as a pastor's kid and and um, so pretty much that means i was at church every sunday and uh you know i remember that even as a kid when people other adults would ask each other how they're doing i'm good blessed great i'm not perfect just forgiven right Some of these other things that we hear in church world but what i didn't hear a lot of is anybody saying you know i'm not really doing too hot would you pray for me or it's been a hard week can i just sit by you and not really say anything and you would see when that certain song would play that 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 they were hoping that would Be you know, part of the set list, and they're just that little bit of relief or comfort. Like, oh, maybe it's Amazing Grace or I don't know. Whatever it is for you, like I need that, or is there a certain verse that brings comfort to you? But my heart is to not only work at a church, be part of a church where it's okay not to be okay. And that's a big part of the reason that we're here and we come together for an hour on Sunday to encourage each other to know that there's somebody else who believes and that it's there for us. Even if we never, even if we never talk to them, there's certain people on Sunday mornings that just seeing them gives me comfort I'm like oh, they're here, right? I'm not crazy or there's somebody else that's crazy too. in that same church growing up, I never heard a lot of sermons on the grief and loss sections of the Bible. When was the last time you heard a sermon that the text was Lamentations something? And there's this whole book called Psalms right about in the middle where there's some people getting really honest before God, mainly a a person named David getting pretty honest. Reminding me it's okay to be angry at God. Reminding me it's normal to feel confused. Reminding me that it's okay not to be okay, and I don't have to have it, I don't have to have it all together all the time. And one of the things I love, when you, if you've not read through the Psalms, what you'll start to realize is, there's usually uh, a lot of outpouring, a lot of venting, but then toward the end, a reminder, in a creed about, but you are God, but I know you love me, but I know it'll be okay. I discovered Psalm 42 recently, or rediscovered, yearning for God in the midst of distresses. And it's the one quoted in your your bulletin a little bit too. But as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim's feast. So why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for yet I shall praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Mount Charleston, (laughs) to the shore of Lake Mead, from the highest point to the lowest. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for yet I shall praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And just a little bit, like Kevin said, we have a little bit of a different service order. And the musicians will come back up in a little bit and play some songs. And if you're here today checking in with yourself, maybe this first time you've been able to pause all week or all weekend, and you say, I don't know that it is well with my soul. I don't know if I'm doing all that great. Or on the other hand, if you say, I have a lot of things that I'm celebrating right now and I'd like to speak about that a little bit. Um, We're going to have a time of prayer during those songs, so you can either come up front or if you just want to raise your hand, somebody come around and pray with you. But from what I understand about the significance of creation is that our inner and outer worlds are are to become a vast showcase for God's majesty. And as we trust in him and give our lives to him, we are almost to be walking Grand Canyons, which is has a deep of its own Pacific oceans deep. Mount Everest, there's a deep or, or the deepness of the wilderness. These varied and complex ecosystems that require unique interplay of relationship with God and other people. There's a rich harmony in creation that not only reminds us of, of God and his majesty, but transpires when our deep calls and is answered by another's. And one of those my friends because they know i'm such an introvert will normally text, not call and so i'll get taxed every once in a while like are you there i need to talk for my friends or can i call you right the, the depth of their soul crying out one splendor of creation holds fellowship with another but this requires deep honesty and vulnerability which is a big part of the reason that we're going through emotionally healthy spirituality. The great deep above stretches out his hands to the great deep below. Did you catch that language in the psalm? Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. And the author saying like, it feels like God is missing me or I'm drowning. And David perceiving these solemn harmonies uses the metaphor to describe his own unhappy experience. And I suppose that when he wrote the Psalm, maybe he was an exile from throne and country and driven out by the rebellion of his favorite son. and felt like God, maybe like God feels, driven out by our rebellion. Or we feel driven out when loved ones turn on us and we feel betrayed. And at the same time, his heart sank within him for the deep outside, called to the deep within. All the waves and billows of God's providence had gone over him. Like I said, it felt like they had missed him. and He felt out of touch with God's caring hand. When the internal and external sorrows combine, when there is one deep, it calls to another responsively. So, our deep might be a longing, a prayer, that dark night of the soul that we read about. And God's deep is his loving and kindness and his mercy and his call to back to us. And I love the water imagery that's so often present in the Bible. Every time that I've been going through something life-changing in, in, in my history, in my life, I've usually ended up next to some water. Whether it's a lake that I've gone to to retreat by or a stream, I just love the sound of water. I've gone on vacation to places like Hawaii and I always try to keep the window open, hope that I'm sleeping close enough to be able to hear ocean waves at night. Because there's something calming about that. Like the deep of that ocean or that body of water calling to my deep probably because our body is made of a lot of water. It only makes sense. God's eternal spirit has deigned to dwell in the hearts of ours, these hearts of ours. He quickens death unto life. He fills the thirsty souls with rivers of divine grace. He turns a stone to flesh, and he does wonders in our soul. There's a story about Jesus and water in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus had been teaching, and then so often, like he does, he then withdrew. And it says, When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So, at the time, by that time, the boat was being covered with waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds in the sea, and the water became perfectly calm. And these men that had been traveling with Jesus were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And like I said a couple weeks ago, last time up here, this man, this God that, that I have in my boat with me, how often do I forget that he's there? And how often do I flail about trying my own solutions to problems in my own trying to do things out of my own strength. When really, I should stop and talk to Jesus who wants to help me make peace of my broken pieces of my life. One of the things that I I thought about when I was looking at the title, enlarging your soul through grief and losses, how many of us even know what our soul is? If I asked everybody in this room, I'd probably get that many different answers. And I don't want to get too bogged down in definitions, but you could think about it like this. Our soul is the king on a chessboard. Very limited in movement. The king on the chessboard can only move one space. But when you lose it, game over. The neediness of our soul is a pointer to God. The soul is limited in every way except one. We have an unlimited desire for more. More beauty. More love. More whatever. It's our soul crying out from the deep. The soul's infinite capacity to desire is the mirror image of God's infinite capacity to love and give. In other words, our need is meant to point us to God. But so often we set up other idols, don't we? Meaning I've put something on a higher pedestal than God. And sometimes we hear that word idolatry and think, wow, that's an old, ancient idea that has no place in our life today. Wrong. (laughs) Idolatry is simply the sin of the soul meeting its needs with anything that distracts us from God. Because the soul must orbit around something other than itself something it can worship it is the nature of the soul to need your wants and needs are okay it's where you're getting them met that can get you in trouble so our soul begins to grow or enlarge our soul begins to grow in God when we acknowledge our neediness and say here I am I need you God I need you have mercy because God doesn't hand out easy assignments. (laughs) I've never read one place in the Bible where God came to that person and said, Hey, I've got something for you. It only take you about five minutes. (laughs) You got this. I'll just be over here, right? They're all hard. They're all hard assignments. Otherwise we wouldn't need God. I've said it before. I do not like or agree with the phrase that God does not give you more than you can handle. I don't think it's true because otherwise you'd have no need for God those things are meant to drive us to the Lord and thus have our souls enlarged so why do we need our souls enlarged because it's not about us because there are other souls need saving that need saving which is why we're here It's why this church is here. It's why we meet every Sunday. Not to have things exactly the way we want it. Not to have it the way we want it. But because the way that it is and what we feel led to do might reach somebody who doesn't know God. That's what it's about. It's not our job to heal our own souls. It's our job to make space for them for healing to come. It's part of the reason that we bless you out the door. every week, talking about trees and being planted. And the only way that we can have an easy soul is to slow down long enough to connect with God. The soul is not made for an easy life. It was made for an easy yoke when we talk about yoke, we're not talking about the actual farming implement that goes on the animal's back. We're talking about a rabbi's teaching. Because that's what they would say, whose yoke are you under? Oh, I follow this rabbi, or I follow this rabbi. Our rabbi being Jesus, we have an easy yoke. By slowing down for God, there is a greater congruence between what I think, feel, choose, and do, and I experience what it is to be whole. But I can't do that if I'm in a hurry. The best description I ever heard about that was somebody who just calls it hurry sickness. Where we spend more time at a grocery store just figuring out which line is shorter than we do actually go in and get the stuff. Because we don't want to spend time in there. It's one thing I've done, I've started doing sometimes, not every time is intentionally picking a line that's a little bit longer. And the other day I was in there and, and I had a few things and, the, and uh, the person in front of me had a cart full of stuff and they hooks would you like to go first? No. Because <laughs> it's good for my ego. And they were kind of like, okay, weirdo, but <laughs> I knew what I was talking about. You know, when I got here, not used to the heat yet from Illinois, I would park under some trees over here on the side or on the side of the admin building for shade. And then what I started to realize is when I got out of my car, I had to duck down a little bit for the branches, which is really good for me. Humility, humus, earth, close to the earth. It's not about me. My ego does not need any help being a big, believe me. What I do need help with is grief and loss. And I need God's help. I want to read another Psalm for you. Psalm 23, many of you probably know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, So what are your green pastures and what are your still waters I like that line in there makes us lie down like a kid who does not want to go to bed and you just have to carry him in there and put him in there <laughs> squirrely 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 asleep because sometimes it's just what it takes is rest. The space where we find rest and healing for our own souls is solitude doing nothing does wonders for your soul and that's a hard message to hear in our culture isn't it but doing nothing does wonders for the soul and i ask the musicians to come up one of my favorite songs is is it is well with my soul Maybe you've heard it, given you some comfort, maybe in your grief or loss. But the story behind it is, in the 1870s, a man named Horatio Spafford was a successful Chicago lawyer. And having invested heavily in real estate, the Chicago Fire of 1871 wiped him out. His son had died shortly before that disaster. Spafford and his family desperately needed a rest. So in 1873, he planned a trip to Europe, with his wife Anna and their four daughters. And just before they set sail, a last minute business development forced Horatio to return to work. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, Spafford persuaded his family to go and intended to meet them there later. With this decided, Spafford returned to Chicago and Anna and the four daughters sailed on to Europe. Unfortunately, their ship collided with another vessel and sank in just 12 minutes. The accident claimed the lives of 226 people altogether. Anna Spafford had stood bravely on the deck, holding onto her daughters. Her last memory of the disaster is her daughters being torn from her hands by the raging waters. Just nine days later, Spafford received a two-word telegram from his wife, saved alone. When Horatio Spafford made the ocean crossing to meet his grieving wife, he sailed near the place where his four daughters had sunk to the ocean depths. There in the midst of his sorrow, he wrote the now famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know or say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live, if Jordan above me shall roll, No pang shall be mine, for in death, as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But, Lord, tis for thee, for that coming we wait, the sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And, Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, a song in the night, O my soul. How can this man who wrote the song beset by so much tragedy find peace with his soul? He opened it. He kept it open. He rested. He grieved. He slowed down. He refused to set up anything on a higher pedestal than God. He intuitively knew that a soul, like a tree, has to remain in something in order for it to grow, or in this case, be restored. He allowed Jesus to speak to the deep waters within him and say, peace be still, and they were calm. That is why we're here. The last thing I'll say is this. Um, I got to hang out at our our youth group on Thursday nights. And there's a, a vision board along one wall where the kids have written down what they like about youth group or what they're hoping for youth group or what they're hoping for God to see done in their lives. And so I made a copy of one of them because I feel like The words are the the true mission statement of any church and certainly for our church here and why we're here and why it's so important that that our hearts do not become hard or that our souls don't close in on themselves. And this young person wrote this, I hope to see God heal me, help me heal my mental and physical pain. I wish to see God help me find my way to him. I wish to see God help the ones who are lost. This youth group is home. If you need prayer, come up, come up front here. I'll be down here praying with people. So Ryan and Deb, if you're not comfortable with that and just want to raise your hand for prayer, that's fine too. People come around, but let's seek God together. that we might find healing for our souls and hope for those who are lost.